US elections are apparently over, so who spent the most on online ads, the Biden or the Trump's campaign? Also, Spotify may be working on a podcast paid subscription service. The Washington Post launched Project Signal as a way to target users based on contextual content, and social media has been forced to act as a contention wall during the US 2020 elections. Also, we are going to talk with John Vaughn from Local SEO Search to give you some tips and advices on SEO for 2021. All these and more on the Not Your Marketer podcast. Stick around. marketer, Alberto Lempira, aka Lempi. Welcome to the fourth episode of this podcast where I talk about the latest news in marketing, business, and tech. So without any further ado, let's jump into the headlines. So the 2020 elections are apparently over in the US. As of the recording of this episode, Joe Biden is president-elect Joe Biden. And we are going to talk about how much did both campaigns invested on online advertising, especially because one article from AdAge made the analysis uh, from Kevin Brown, who is the Age that AdAge Data Center Director of Data Management, in partnership with Kantar, uh, and they took data from April 9th and they focused basically on two main properties. I mean, Facebook and Google. So Trump invested over $89 million in advertising across Facebook properties. That in comparison with Biden, who spent 85 million US dollars. So one of the things that we have to keep in mind here is that it's not surprise for anyone that the Trump campaign has relied a lot on Facebook and Facebook features for targeting people that may be prone to vote for him. When we take a look at what they have invested on Google, the thing, I mean, it's a different picture. The Biden campaign spent 60.4 million US dollars on Google properties, whether the Trump campaign invested only 56 US million. So obviously two kind of a different approach to doing online advertising, but keep in mind that one of the things that both campaigns leverage a lot uh, on these online advertising efforts was to do fundraising. And a while ago, uh, Biden's campaign were, uh, well, just uh, announcing that they may have lost over 500,000 US dollars in donations uh, in the week prior to the election. So this is, I mean, when you have such, so, such important advertiser as these ones, obviously, if you have any mistakes or you have any issues on the system, they are going to be uh, coming up to the news. But this kind of errors has been popping up over and over for multiple advertisers. Uh, 
So one key takeaway from this is that only two companies, I mean, Alphabet and Facebook, accounted for almost a quarter of a billion in advertising from these US, I mean, for from the Trump and Biden campaign. Don't keep in mind that there were a lot of campaign for uh, the House, uh, the Congress, and the Senate that are we're all we're also uh, dealing with that. Also, a lot of prop uh, prop propositions that were in in the ballots in in many states. So that makes you give you an idea or how huge politics and political marketing is for online advertising platforms, right? So the Biden campaign spent uh, 145.6 million uh, in between Facebook and Google combined, and Trump was in, spent a little a little bit less with just 145.1 million. But at the end of the day, when you think about how each campaign approached each one of the features that they, they were available for both uh, on, on those platforms, you can understand how planning and setting up your strategy can make a different a difference between how much you need to invest to gain and to have the same level of results. If we go back and if you remember in 2016, the Hillary campaign uh, invested way more money than the Trump's campaign on online ads uh, and, and political ads uh, as a whole. That didn't translate into having more votes or mobilizing more people. So um, obviously there was, I mean, the Cambridge Analytica thing and a lot of issues and, I don't know, different strategies that may be not ethic. But at the end of the day, if you are smart enough, you can have better results with less money. So moving towards the next headline, Spotify may be interested in launching a new, or at least surveying their users to launch a new subscription-based podcast service. They were running a survey through the Spotify ads, where they were asking about four possible subscription podcast services or plans ranging from three to eight dollars per month. The cheapest one would have access to exclusive content, but will still include ads. Whether the more, most expensive was going to include high quality original content and also early access to some episodes and no advertisements whatsoever. So this seems like kind of what you can get from Patreon. I mean, the only thing is that on Patreon, you pay just for one content creator. But you have access to these kind of perks just by being a paid subscriber, okay? So what they have said is that they readily conduct a number of surveys in an effort to improve their user experience. And they... I mean, they have been making big investment into podcasting over the past couple of years. Uh, they have made agreement with Joe Rogan, Michelle Obama, Kim Kardashian, and they have also partnered and acquired some major podcast producers like Gimlet, Podcast, and and some others. So this is not def. I mean, this is not um, an actual decision that they have made so far, but 
they are just tapping the water to see how the user will be interested in paying for a service of that kind. What would you say? I mean, we are just so used to have podcasts for free that uh, making the case for a platform like Patreon has been kind of difficult to to take off for some content creators. So I don't know how could Spotify make it work, but we will just have to wait and see how they do it. So the Washington Post launched Project Signal. Project Signal, according to Jarod Dicker, Vice President of Innovation and Commercial Strategy, it's a platform for advertisers for targeting alongside content in context with an article that is going to be the status quo across multiple publishers on the web in the coming years. So what they have been working is that they are going to offer advertisers a platform where they can just bid on customers that they already know the consumer behavior. They can bring richer opportunities for uh, for the marketers and for the advertisers to better understand the context that the reader is, I mean, consuming that kind of content and the type of uh, experience that they are leveraging on that, okay? So the tool is powered by first-party data from the Washington Post, and they have this uh, analytics platform that manage all the data called CU's Insights. Advertisers will receive contextual and consumption insights from, from the Washington Post, and they are going to be able to learn from that to bid for other content spaces using a platform called Zeus Prime, okay? They are going to buy, it's going to be a buying interf interface for people to allow, I mean, to allow advertisers to reach more users through editorial articles or editorial content. So this comes at a time where first party data is going to be more and more relevant because it's going to be the only source of information that advertisers are going to have to being able to target their users or their potential customers, okay? If you remember, um, in a couple of years from now, we are going to be in a cookie-less world and it's going to be more difficult for advertisers to manage or to reach users without that first-party data. So we are going to, it's my guess, and we are going to be um, more reliant on huge or large publishers or a network of publishers that have the data uh, and robust enough data from uh, their users and the readers that is going to be useful for us as marketers to target them in a crude way. And on another note uh, about the U.S. elections, uh, social media has been forced to act as a contention wall throughout the 2020 U.S. elections, fighting um, misleading information about uh, voting and e email ballots and all this stuff. It has been a difficult moment for platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter to deal with that flow of information. So Facebook and Twitter had very different approaches to that. Uh, I mean, it has been very famous how Twitter has 
not banned, but flagged all or almost all of uh, Trump's tweets, especially during the election day and post-election day. Um, and the and Facebook on the other side, what they do was they tag them as this information may not be entirely true or entirely, or it could be misleading or find the facts there. So Facebook, um, as announced uh, early, uh, earlier this year by by Mark Zuckerberg, uh, they were going to, I mean, had a goal for um, running a pro-registration for new voters campaign. Uh, they say that they managed to help more than 4 million voters to re register for, for these elections. Uh, they, they invested a lot of money. And one of the things that they did was that they created the election center, information center, where they got uh, curated information from trustworthy sources that were, I mean, also analyzed by some members of the Facebook team. And what they did was on election day, well, not on election day, but when when president-elect uh, Biden was announced, I mean, it, it was, um, yeah, announced and proclaimed by many media sources. They used their platform to make people know about the latest development. So this comes at a time where there was a lot of uncertainty. You heard from Trump's campaign that they were going to have some litigation and some legal actions in some states. So in this moment where a lot of people were going to social media to get the information because they were following and news outlets or maybe some politicians and candidates, obviously, what they leveraged was on having all that number of users coming to the platform to being themselves the ones who give away the news. Uh, also using, I mean, they, the power that they could have for filtering out uh, fake news or misleading headlines. So this has marked a different relationship that social media companies, especially the large ones, are going to have in the coming years, Whenever, not only on, during elections, but during difficult times where uh, civil unrest may occur depending on the outcome of the situations. Um, and I think this is going to be uh, something, I mean, I mean this, is, this is very difficult to not on, not to understand that we need to have someone looking after it because, I mean, regular media, traditional media is regulated. But at the end of the day, we have to think if we are going to be allowing these tech companies to have the final call into what kind of information are we uh, entitled to receive or not. So this brings me to uh, my reflection for today's episode. Uh, so after seeing the role that companies like Facebook and Twitter had play, had to play during the, the U.S. elections, it seems to me that uh, we may have a huge issue that we need to tackle. On one hand, we have a lot of users posting and reposting non-true stories that range from just being misleading to straight fake news. And on the other hand, we have companies like, well, Facebook, Twitter, 
that are responsible for flagging and tagging that information that they may be misleading. So who has a true meter? I mean, who, may, who makes the final call into what is true and what is not true? And how they make the difference, the differentiation between information and opinion. Because, I mean, you can say, you can think, I mean, you're entitled to your, to your opinion. You can say whatever you want. Until, I mean, as, as long as everybody knows is an opinion, it's not information that you're going to share, be sharing, okay? And um, I don't know if we need to educate ourselves and others, uh, other users about how to deal with e this kind of information and how to contrast them with multiple sources so you can have and understand the big picture. I usually do that myself, but I think that comes from my... Maybe because being an engineer, I always doubt of everything that everybody tells me. So I need to uh, double and triple check on, on that uh, with multiple sources. Uh, I don't know if that is something that we need to uh, promote on a large scale so that we can be safer and that we don't have to rely on these big companies to tell us what is true and what is not, and furthermore, to decide what kind of information we are entitled to to see and to read and to receive, and not being in control ourselves of what kind of things we want to read and we've, what kind of things we want to believe or not. I mean, this is not easy. This is a very, very complicated uh, topic, uh, and I bet there is no one right answer or at least not an easy one. But I believe that we have a long way to go on this topic and that we have to encourage conversation and talk about these kind of issues to approach and to find uh, insights among the different uh, way of thinking from, from everybody. So what do you think about it? Please let me know. Uh, you can send me a, a voice message on Anchor or you can comment on any social uh, network or any social media account that uh, I have for, for the podcast. So moving to today's interview, I had the chance to talk with John Bond from Local SEO Search, and we discussed about SEO and how small and medium-sized businesses can leverage on a great strategy to rank higher on search engines and to use a more modest budget, thinking in a long haul results. So I'm going to jump over to that interview, and I hope you like it. Today, I have the pleasure to talk with Jean Bon, founder and president of Local SEO Search, to help us understand a bit more about uh, search engine optimization. So welcome to the Not Your Marketer podcast, John. Nice to have you. Well, thank you for having me join your podcast today, Alberto. I'm excited and sh uh, to share some of the insights and knowledge uh, that I've learned over the last couple of years with your audience members. Great. Awesome. So... To kick things off, um, I mean, the, the audience of the Not Your Marketer podcast uh, should be pretty familiar with the term SEO. But for those who are not, how would you define search engine optimization? So search engine optimization, uh, we focus primarily with the search engine Google. And as you know, uh, there's certain areas when you do a search query on Google um, that delivers a result. So on the first page, usually there's ads at the top of a Google search result. Then there's usually a map 
based on a local query. And then below there is also organic listing. So optimizing your website allows you to organically or naturally appear without paying on the map and below the map. And that's what we do at our agency where search engine optimization can really help you generate a lot more inbound leads of quality, uh, nurtured type of clients. Awesome. So uh, I know that search engine's algorithm keep changing, especially Google's, uh, keep changes over time. I mean, I remember like 10 years ago, maybe that they made like two, three changes in one, in one year's time. Right now they have, I mean, multiple changes in the same day. So in 2020 and looking forward into 2021, what would you say are the main things that everybody has to keep in mind when design, designing the SEO strategy? Yeah, so uh, it's a great point that you mentioned because yes, there's over 200 signals, algorithm signals that Google actually wants you to play by and abide by. Um, however, they always try to update the, the search engine to provide the best user experience and the best results for that person searching and navigating. And like you mentioned, uh, there is over nine updates daily in the search engine. And therefore, as an SEO or, or anyone in the industry, I always look at foundations as opposed to ways to trick or hack the system. Because if you're doing everything ethically, white hat, above board, you'll never get you know, harmed by any of the algo updates. So, you know, when you think about Google, you really think about, look, if if you're doing a search, um, say a local restaurant in, in Barcelona, um, you're going to type in my favorite tapa restaurant near La Rambla, right? Yeah. And, you know, that's a, a typical search, right? And what you want to appear for as a business owner is to be on the map at the top right? And also a number one spot below the map. As a user, however, you also will do a lot of due diligence to see, are these real credible websites? Are they, you know, do they have good star reviews? How's their images like? How is it fake reviews? Is it real people actually writing it? Do you sort by positive or negative reviews? How is it updated for the new pandemic protocols, COVID, right? What's going on? Is it takeout only? So as a user, the behaviors have changed. And so therefore, you always have to adapt to your customers. And so when I always start off with any SEO campaign, I always say, understand your avatar, understand your customer. And by knowing that and understanding who they are, your ideal customer, then you can create a campaign with proper website, proper content, proper assets and backlinks and everything else to attract more of your real ideal customer. So, you know, it's pretty straightforward because if, if you are a marketer or if you're a consumer, for instance, I go to a restaurant, you know, once or twice a week. I'm always doing my own fact checking. So yeah. business owners forget that they should be thinking like a customer and not like a business owner when it comes to Google. And if you start thinking like a customer and you shop all the time, you will then start implementing things like what a customer expects and wants. So today, people expect images, quality, personalized images, videos, 
to make it easy. What's the PPE protocol? What's the face mask protocol? What are your hours like? What's your takeout like? All these things are required today. It's not just nice to haves, right? Do you have an e-commerce shop? What is your shipping if it is e-commerce or not? What's your takeout? Are you offering Uber Eats or something like that, right? Like you have to understand your customers. And once you do that, SEO is providing what your customers expect on your website so that it's easy for Google to detect that that's what the customers want, your users. And they're going to reward you for satisfying what the customers want. Right, right. So you you mentioned something that it's uh, it's very interesting about uh, with all the COVID situation, explaining and being clear about what's the protocol. So do you have curbside uh, pickups exactly. uh, or whatever? And this is this has something to do with uh, managing. I mean, talking uh, in in the universe in the Google's universe, right? With the Google My Business you no know, platform. So and this is something that. I'm just adding another question to it. Um, when do you think that it's more um, beneficial for businesses to keep up to date? I mean, as Google in- integrates a new feature that you, I mean, for I mean, I'm just going to backwards. Uh, when you could add the the business hours, okay? So this was really helpful for people when they got uh, they were looking for a specific restaurant or store or whatever on Google Maps to see if they were going to be open or not. And you can also in here in Spain we have a very particular uh, situation because we have uh, festive and holidays that are not the same across the country. So uh, it's very it's. It's super useful for uh, users to find that kind of information right in the business uh, profile in the in the in, in the search results. So, would you recommend uh, that businesses adopted those new features as they come up, or to wait until how the the market start using it, or or competitors or start using it? Um, yeah, you bring up a really good point because Google My Business is so important and vital for a lot of small business owners, but yet they don't verify and claim it in the first place. They're not optimizing it and they're not updating it. So staying on top of all your asset pieces, people think about just website, but don't forget people rely on the map as well. They rely on Facebook. They rely on Instagram. They relied on other platforms where you can actually own and manage, right? Because you want to own all your brands, yeah. right? So that no one else can actually take it away from you because, you you know, you started a company, you worked many, many years to get to and build it. Now mm-hmm. go out there and claim it and keep it up to date, right? Present. So yes, understanding what the new features and attributes are on Google My Business is critical, but it's very difficult as well because you're running so many, you're wearing so many hats when you're a business owner. You're running around under, you don't even know where your next paycheck's going to be, your customer, right? But as a business owner, as a marketer, unless you can read your customers and you're a buyer yourself, to say you're a shopper, you expect that business owner to be updating if they're closed, if there's shorter term hours because there's lockdowns, if there's COVID protocols, you're it's expected now. So 
if you're a business owner, you need to start thinking like the customers and people forget that and they let it go by for months and months on end without even realizing that that's a huge impact that they're having by not updating a simple thing like curbside pickup or shortened hours or I have PPE, I have social distancing, I'm restricting access uh, within the, uh, the store, right? Like all these things should be expected, but a lot of business owners aren't advertising or experts in terms of marketing, right? They're yeah. busy running their business. So I, I feel like if it's more informed, if there's more education, more business owners would adopt it. But the challenge is business owners are so busy doing other yeah. things. They forget about it. Totally, totally. So when thinking about uh, and talking about uh, small and medium-sized businesses or entrepreneurs, how important would it be? I mean, ideally to have an SEO strategy set up from the beginning. I mean, that that is the ideal scenario, right? So I, I have found sometimes people that says, Oh, I never, I've never done it. So probably right now it's too, it's going to be too complicated or maybe it's going to be, I, I, it will represent, I, I will have to invest a lot of money. So what would you say to those kind of, uh, I mean, business owner? So is there uh, a moment that is going to be best or it's never too late to, to implement it? <laughs> yeah. So SEO, it's, it's interesting, right? It's like, Think about building a website. People think when you have a storefront, people will flock to your business because now people can access your business, right? But if they, they forget that you still need to market your business so that people are aware of your product and service, yeah. right? So it's like you build a website and you expect everyone to know about you right off the bat because it's your name. Oh, I have a huge amount of people that, or you're new, Oh, I'm, I'm new in business. Of course, you know, people know about me, yeah. but you're one in millions of other people competing, right? For yeah. the same product and service. And people have limited budget usually, right? To buy your product and service. So I, I always translate SEO with real estate, okay? Where do you want to rent space by advertising on Google ads or traditional magazines, newspaper, radio, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, or do you want to eventually own your real estate, which is SEO, owning the space. But it takes time. You need to start saving. You need yeah. to start saving for a down payment to pay it off, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But once you buy it, buy into it, then the fruits of the labor will be you mortgage pay down, appreciation, maybe some cash flow or whatever it is. But that's once you start getting good traction, right? So everything takes time. If you're in business for long-term, not just one or two years to buy it, hopefully sell it. But if you're a business owner that is thinking five, 10, 20 years, I plan on really owning my, my industry. I want to be the expert thought leader, authoritative figure. Well, that's what SEO can really guide you and help you get there, right? But if you don't know anything about how to run a good business, go figure that out first. Yeah. Go get new customers and get revenue because an SEO campaign will not fix a bad business owner on how to run a business. 
SEO can really elevate a good business owner to be a great business digitally, becoming more visible. But if you're a poor business owner, you're going to have a poor reputation, poor reviews, everything else, even though your ranking will have diminishing returns because people will see right through that. You can't answer your calls, no customer service. You don't know how to take care of your customers. Ultimately, that will fail. So I always say start off with good foundation, learn good business, then adopt slowly. And it doesn't have to be right away. You learn fundamentals, start creating a good website, talking directly to your customers, and then creating content to really propel yourself and differentiate yourself from everyone else in the marketplace. Great, great. So this is, yeah, this is uh, super, super, uh, I mean, it, it's true. Like uh, if you have a bad business and you have a bad service, what, what you will do with SEO or any campaign is going to amplify that bad reputation that you already have offline, right? So great, great advice there, Jan. So what if you had to choose a couple of things that are working right now and that are not working uh, with SEO as general tips. What would you? What I mean, what 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 would them be? If the, I mean, if this is a, if this is a tough question. Okay. Yeah, I know that. So there's there's not one or two. I would say yeah. because you need a mixture, and there's so much competitive analysis and benchmarking and figuring out what needs to be done. Right. If you're a brand new website, there's people in your industry that's been doing it, competitors that probably been doing SEO for five, 10 years. So you need to start to get going, to get started, right? So yeah. my first suggestion would be go after long tail keywords to get quick wins with a high conversion rate. If you're going after a broad term, like best restaurant in Barcelona, good luck yeah. because you're competing with, you know, Restaurants have been doing it for like 10, 15 years, right? Yeah. Investing thousands of you know euros every month. Um, good luck to even if you put in hundreds of thousands of dollars, which a lot of businesses don't have money for it, there's no way you can fast track it, right? Yeah. So um, my my suggestion, sorry, is yeah. really just focus on like foundation, um, really understand your customers and really focus on like niche it down so that you can have a higher conversion rate, compelling enough to get quick wins so that you will start getting a good return on your investment. Because a lot of people go after big term, broad term keywords, two words or shorter, and they think, I am the best. Yeah. Well, there's people that are the best and you're just starting. So you're not really the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally. Awesome. Awesome. So I have here uh, a list of three myth, SEO myth. So I want you to yes. help me to figure out if they are truth or not. Okay. So the first one is you need to post new content constantly to rank higher yes. on, on search engines. So I wouldn't uh, focus so heavily on the quantity Um, and the frequency, I would really focus on the substance and quality. So if you're going to put out a piece of content, it better be really awesome. Differentiating, it has to have substance, which is in-depth, well-researched, resourced content where you put in time and effort, um, thousands of words with 
really good images, re really good compelling headlines, um, can call to actions, resources, because when people land and hopefully read that piece, you want them to share it, amplify it, differentiate it, right? Versus if it's only a 400 word piece of one paragraph kind of yeah. blog, um, you know, how is it different than everything else that people are trying to put out, right? So I would rather you spend months putting together a big, nice piece of content than trying to put out one piece of content every week. Great. That makes sense. Awesome. Awesome. So the next one would be site speed is important for ranking higher. Definitely. Um, so again, you, you want to sit in the shoes of your customers. And if people are bouncing because images and videos taking too long to load, right? Your website is dated, right? Yeah. It's not compressed with site speed, right? Like you need to ensure that it's less than three seconds or even shorter and make sure that it's responsive in every single device, right? Not just mobile, but desktop, tablets, laptops, you name it. It has to be adaptable and easy to navigate as well. Yes. Great. Awesome. And the last one would be running ads can help your ranking. Again, that I believe it's a myth um, because it depends on the click-through rate, right? So if you think about ads, you're, you're hopefully capturing people uh, at the time of purchase, right? Usually it's, you know, someone that's yeah. shopping around for some widget or product or whatnot. But as a customer, do you want to get pushed ads or do you want to be in control, right? So there's a difference there. There's a very high bounce rate based on ads versus organic. There's a big, huge difference. Bounce rate meaning people land on your website, press the back button really quickly. So if you're running an ad campaign, you'll have a higher bounce rate, lower conversion rate, and it'll cost you a lot more. But it's the fastest way to get at the top of as many search terms as possible with a significant budget. So as you're starting off, I would say, yeah, play around with ads, see what works, which keywords people are looking for, your product and service, and then focus heavily on that for your SEO campaign, right? When you create a good content strategy. But don't really just focus on ads um, because maybe if you have a lot of money, sure, and a lot of businesses don't know what SEO is and what mm -hmm. it can do for you, right? Mm -hmm. So for me as a business owner, and I run ads myself and I've tried it. I've run a lot of Facebook ads and I've tried it. I've run LinkedIn, Instagram. I've done trade shows. I've done call centers. I've done traditional. I'm, I always practice what I preach, right? Mm -hmm. I always test it and I always implement it. Um, and I, I'm a big prover. Like I'll, I'll do anything. I'll spend money and see if it works. And then I'm a big advocate if it works. Okay. If it doesn't, I'll be honest about it, right? Yeah, right. And right. I, I've tried everything and I spent tens of thousands of dollars on all these forms of advertising, right? But if you look at the ROI, and yes, SEO may take a little bit longer, but it's the quality of leads that you're getting which is your ideal type of clients. And if you're in it for the long term, you don't want to you don't want people to waste your time. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, totally. So that's the difference. And going back to your analogy, it's like uh, it's comparing paying rent versus your more mortgage, right? Like it's at the yeah. end of the day you're going owning to owning real estate you're versus going to renting. own it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, 
on the other, I mean, on the other side, you're going to be just paying for uh, rented space. So awesome, thank you, John. So uh, just to wrap the the interview, uh, I wanted to for you to to share with us what do you do, uh, your you guys on local SEO search, and maybe you can share with us some of, one example of one great experience that you have had uh, with some of your clients with what you do. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so we're a boutique SEO agency, um, but we focus on small, medium-sized business owners. The reason I only focus on that is um, I actually worked at Yellow Pages for five years, and I've worked with thousands of business owners, and I really wanted to make a difference to help the smaller guys out, right? Mm -hmm. And they were challenged. They, they didn't know who to go to, where to turn to. And most of these bigger SEO agency really just focus on the bigger Fortune 500 or bigger brands because they can afford to yeah. work with them, right? So I basically offer up what the big companies offer, but for small businesses. Mm -hmm. And I try to do a proper full service um, that is going to help them along the way, right? Like just yeah. do everything the right way. So I build a team that is um, everything from developers to SEO consultants, strategists, to content writers, to link builders, to graphic designers, to, you know, just everything that is required for a proper SEO campaign. Um, so when you're working with us, you get a piece of everything versus just one thing. And that's the difference between freelancers and in-house. Yeah. You cannot build a good team and it will cost you a lot, actually, if you build in-house. But if, you, yeah, if you're a bigger company, a couple hundred thousand a month, sure, you can do that, right? Yeah. But if you are a smaller business, 1,000 or 2,000 is what you can afford, right? So it's all relative. You need to ensure that you're playing in a space where it gives you a good ROI and you're helping the end customer. So that's what we do. We And then, for example, we deal with a lot of dentists, lawyers, plumbers, trades, trades people, right? Yeah. Um, and for me, a lot of people used to spend money with other forms of advertising from Google ads to yellow pages to social ads and I've taken a lot of those clients to, to reduce their spend or become zero to then just do SEO where they get a lot more value, which is quality leads, increased ROI, and they're sticking with me because there's a good return on investment, right? So I've worked with hundreds of them. There's not just one. Like that's my track record. We really want to help the small business owners get good results because honesty is one thing, but actually delivering on your promise is another. And we feel like quality means a lot and uh, reputation means a lot. And what we've kind of built over the last seven years is really built a, a good following of family type business owners that really want a, a, a partner, right? right. Um, and that's, that's so important in the SEO world. Great, great. Well, guys, uh, so if you if you want to get in touch with Jan, wh where would be the, the best way to, to find you? 
Yeah, definitely. So uh, my website is www.localseosearch.ca. So we're based in Toronto, Canada, uh, but we service uh, businesses across the world. Um, and we're here to help, right? We're here to inform, educate, and take a look at our website. We also have a podcast. We're here to out- educate as well. So it's a lot of fun, right? Everything we're doing, I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't love helping business owners out. And that's where you want to, you know, be, right? And you want to look for businesses that resonates with the same values as yours. So there's hundreds of good SEO companies out there. Um, just find one that really works well with your situation. Great. Awesome. I'm going to leave you the the links for the local SEO search uh, website on the show notes. So you don't need to write it down. So thanks again, John, for joining me. Uh, wish you the best and please stay safe. Thank you so much, Alberto. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Not Your Marketed Podcast. If you like it, please share it, review, and comment on it. Please join the conversation. I hope to see you back on the next episode. We're going to be discussing the latest news in marketing, business, and tech. Please be safe and lengthy out. <laughs>